The reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. So if the message that is preached says that Christ has been raised from the dead, then how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised either. If Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. We are found to be false witnesses about God because we testified against God that he raised Christ when he didn't raise him if it's the case that the dead aren't raised. If the dead aren't raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. If Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. And what's more, those who have died in Christ are gone forever. If we have a hope in Christ only in this life, then we deserve to be pitied more than anyone else. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first crop of a harvest of those who have died. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. God, for uh, the day and for the warmth that bathes our bodies and the earth, we give you thanks. For uh, those who are seeking and needing community, for those who are grieving, those who are experiencing loss, those who are suffering, may what we do in this place be uh, foundations for hope and love and peace in the world. And God, anything we carry into this place, let it uh, be lifted to you so that we may hear and experience you more clearly. For that same spirit, we hope that it guides the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, so they are acceptable to you. In the name of Christ, we pray, and God's people say, amen. All right, so this is uh, that passage you just heard. Uh, depending on your tradition and what you grew up with, that was a lot of Jesus, right? That's a lot of Jesus, body raising, uh, resurrection talk, a lot of the stuff that I'm sure those of you who've been part of this community for a long time is not the first thing you probably talk about when somebody says, hey, you go to church? Like if you get even get to that point and somebody asks you if you go to church, you're like, yeah. And the first thing my guess is, I'm just, I'm just guessing, I've been with you for a few years now, is your first thing is not, well, let me tell you about the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I could be wrong, and if that is your go-to that's great. Most of us, I would think in this part, connected, drawn to this place, talk about the things that we do, the way that maybe our faith has informed our life in the world and how we move through the world and uh, injustice and uh, caring for each other. All, all of the things are outcroppings of um, this understanding of who we are as Christians. So I know that about this place. This is, we are not unique in this. I think part of uh, those of us that would, would think we are thoughtful, uh, I, I would never call myself an intellectual Christian, but you know what I mean? Those of us that kind of want to, to just be our brains and our heads around our Christianity, um, 
you know, talking about bodily resurrection is like, well, there's problems with that. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense because that doesn't happen. So here's the deal, though. We are a people who talk about being a resurrection people all the time. And so we got to figure out how do we talk about that in the midst of what is a clear uh, understanding of what Scripture tells us about the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to first say that um, I realize that for many folks who consider themselves Christian, if we didn't have to talk about the resurrection part, it, faith would be a lot easier. If we could just, in some ways, it's, I know it feels a little blasphemous. Please don't clip this part out of the sermon and send it out into the world, right? If, if the resurrection part didn't exist, our faith would be a lot easier because we could just say that intellectual part, that stuff that's really hard to believe, then the rest of it I can totally understand and make sense to me, all that, but, but that we don't, if we could just didn't have to talk about that one, then we'd be okay. If our vows for membership or leadership didn't have to include, do you believe in the, the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If we could just take that part out, it'd be great. Because then we could just be community. We could just be people who gather together because we, you know, we believe in a common way to move through the world. Like, that would be easy. It's kind of, um, you know, sometimes I get so frustrated with the world, I kind of think in the church, the church universal, like, the church would be such a better place if, if we humans weren't involved. Right? If we could just, like, we could just do things if the humans weren't there. I think sometimes our faith, if we didn't have to do the bodily resurrection part, we'd be like, ah, okay, I, I can buy everything else, but this is where I have some problem. So I'm going to talk about resurrection today, which is probably not, again, something that we talk about a lot, because it's clear that in Corinthians, remember last week, the first, you heard the first part of this passage was getting back to the basics of understanding who we were, that we had to have hope and understand grace. This is a continuation, if not a doubling down. Paul doubles down on, you believe in hope? You believe in grace? Well, the reason we do is because of this resurrection that God promised us happened, and now we're moving into the the world as if we believe it to be true. And oftentimes we will read over this and be like, yeah, that's great. But I actually think that in order for us to really be able to step into the world with any kind of integrity, we all have to understand and be able to articulate what is our, what, what theologians and fancy people would say, what is our Christology? What do we believe about Christ in the world? Was Christ just a really great person, taught a lot of good things, and so developed this movement, and now we're all kind of hanging out in churches because of Christ? Was Christ this, like, godly person? Was, was there more, like, spirituality in, God, in, in this Jesus? Was Jesus fully human, fully God as we hear? Was Jesus God, God's self? I mean, all these kinds of ways we have to think about that. But central to this is what does the resurrection mean? Now, if I were to ask you, and if you're on the chat in Zoom, I'd love for you just to talk about, go ahead and put in there, what is the, if I said, what is the resurrection? Somebody comes up to you, well, I mean, I'm sure this happens. So it's on the street, right? Somebody says, sir, ma'am, what is resurrection to you? If you're in the chat, feel free to go ahead and uh, put that in and have some conversation. I would ask you here as well, um, uh, if we had more people, we would do that too. We'd, but when folks ask me what the resurrection is, here's my, my response is, I believe in the bodily resurrection because it forces me to believe in things beyond my imagination. That it forces me 
to believe that I am reconciled to God now in life and for eternity. And then folks will want to say, but but can you prove it? And I'm like, no, but I believe it. And that's what informs what I do. But before we get to that, I do want to make sure we're clear about some things about the resurrection that many people believe is true, but, but I don't, or, and we can debate these. And this is this idea about what was the resurrection for? What was this life, death, resurrection for? What's the whole purpose of it? Like why, you know, we, when you hear, if, if I were to say, well, why does Jesus have to die? We often hear one version of what happens, right? And we, we hear that and it's called uh, the, what's called penal substitution, the penal substitutionary atonement theory, long fancy word. What it means is that that's the version that says God, um, humans were so terrible that God said, all right, you're so bad, I'm gonna take my child and he is gonna have to die for your sins. Now, if you just say that out loud all at once, why would any of us ever follow that God? The God, the parent, the loving God, who says to God's child, gosh, these people around you are so terrible. You know what's gonna happen? I'm gonna tell you now, you're gonna go, you have to die for them. And I'm just gonna go ahead and let that happen. And then we're all gonna be good. That's the penal substitutionary theory. And that's what you hear all the time. That's what's often in our hymns. That's what's often in liturgy and prayers, none that I write, but that's often what you hear because there's idea that what has happened is that, uh, that, that this kind of punishing of us, Jesus takes all of that on. But that's only one way to think about the reason we have this resurrection. Why we have these ways of reconciling us to God. That's just one version, but it is the one that everybody hears about and we know about. And I think one of the reasons people run from Christianity, because why would I believe in a God who says to God's child, to their very child, here, I'm just going to offer you up. There are other versions of the atonement theory that are just as valid and are even more powerful. There's other ones like that you'll hear about a lot. Around Easter, we hear about the victory atonement theory, that somehow Jesus found victory over death. Now, there is some things about that that are helpful, that this idea that we can overcome even death, but it becomes this kind of a, what, what humans have done with the victory atonement theory is then it's our job to go win over everybody. Like it's our job, like we've become this sports team now and we gotta go out and, and we won, the Christians won. And you know, that's just a bad, like once that goes out, crusades, like all this stuff, when we feel like we have to have victory over everyone. Then there's just the plain old substitutionary one, which is the softer version of penal substitution, which means that Jesus was such a great person that Jesus said, I'm gonna do this for you, right? There's, it's softer, right? It doesn't mean that God said, I'm gonna do this to my child. Jesus took it upon Jesus' self and said, I'm gonna do this for you. And so that builds a little bit more like, oh, there's this sacrificial nature of Jesus that we need to follow. 
But where I am and where many of us are, probably where you all are as well in many ways, is that it is not about the substitutionary act of that death and our sins, but in the arc of that, there's a moral teaching that reconciles us to God. That in the life and the death and the resurrection, we are taught the moral way to move through the world that has ramifications and has uh, uh, effects on our life, even to the point of death. But yet God promises us over and over again that even out of that, there is life. So there is, there's, a Greek, I, there's Latin, for, it's a moral uh, example of how we are connected to God. Now, that doesn't get a lot of play out there because there's nothing I can hold over people now. I can't say to somebody, well, you know, Jesus did die for your sins. You better get it together. We can't say, oh, if you do this, then God's going to punish you. But what we have to say to one another is there is a moral teaching in this life of Christ that is beyond our understanding and our imagination. That we are being taught a way to be in the world and understand our connection to God in a way that is not what the normative way of teaching Christianity, but it is a valid one. It's a valid one that has been tested and talked about over time. Scripture backs up this understanding that we are reconciled to God in every interaction that Jesus has with a sinner, has with an outcast, has in the miracles that he does, has in the very, um, the very resurrection of his body. Actually, I think this is more most of us are. We just have never been given permission to claim that as our primary mode of Christology. That Christ's holiness is in the whole scope of Christ's life. And so when Christ comes back to life, we are reconciled to God through that very act. And we are shown a way to be in the world that isn't just about, gosh, this is great teaching, but it is a way that is beyond our whole way of knowing how we could be. And that's where I want us to land when we talk about resurrection. I actually don't care if you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Brian McLaren, uh, a theologian and writer, once used to say a long time ago that um, it doesn't matter if it happened because I believe it to be true. When we're talking about the resurrection, I can totally get on that board, but I think in this day and age of the way that we see truth these days, that's a difficult quote, right? I can't, I mean, because I think there are a lot of people today would say, I don't care if it's true or not, I believe it. I think that's, we've gone askew. But what Brian was trying to say in that moment was that the bodily resurrection means more than the actual act itself. And here's what I think it means for us. Two things. One, is that we believe that we are reconnected to God far beyond our earthly time. I don't know what you're gonna call it. I don't know what it's gonna be like. You can call it heaven, you can call it the afterlife. If you're a TV person, you can call it the good place. I don't care what you call it. But what we understand is that there is a connection to us and God and God's cloud of witnesses beyond our earthly life. And so I live my life out of gratitude that the spirit, my soul, whatever you want to describe it, lives on because of this gift in Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing 
is the, the reason I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is because it makes no sense. Because the very nature of coming back from death makes absolutely no sense. But yet we're told that it happened. I can choose to believe it or not, but I believe it because what it says to me is that no matter how terrible the world is, no matter how much pain I experience or feel in my gut, no matter what the loss or despair that you may have, there is something more imaginable than you and I can have a grasp on that is new life. That even, yes, even a body dead, somehow God says you may live again. And so when I look at the world, when I look at the weight of everything that's going on. We had a committee meeting this weekend and they're just talking about how terrible things are in the world. We look at Afghanistan, we look at our streets, we, we look at the way guns are happening, we look at our pol political system, we look at the way that climate change is impacted over and over again, places in the world. We look at the way that this pandemic has isolated one another. We look at just the rate of suicide in our young people. We, there's over and over again. And what I rest on so that I don't just crawl into a hole or crawl into a place that you can just hide from it all, is that beyond my own imagination, beyond anything I can do myself, God has shown us there is a way to new life and new beginnings. And so if there's anything about the resurrection that you hold on to, whether you believe that it actually happened, whether you believe it was symbolic, metaphoric, whatever it is, if that doesn't land you in the place that you have hope beyond the imagination of the world, then we have dismissed that resurrection. As Paul tells the Corinthians, if you don't believe in it, and what I mean, if you don't believe in a hope beyond the world's imagination, then what we do is useless. Because all we're doing is relying on our own human goodness to try to conquer problems and suffering that are greater than any of us. And in order to come out of that despair and out of that struggle and out of that pain into healing and hope and new life, we've got to believe in something bigger than us, even when it doesn't make any sense. Because I don't want this to be useless. I don't want what you do in this community, what I do as your pastor, I don't want what we do and claim to be in the world, I don't want that to be useless. I want us to believe the resurrection so much that we boldly step into the world and say, yeah, it is terrible out there. But we believe because of the resurrection, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that hope, hope wins out. Love wins out, and as terrible as it is, as despairing as it is, we believe in a God of new life. That's why we're a resurrection people. So the next time you have that conversation of faith, I, I do not advise you start with the bodily resurrection, but I hope as you do that with people, what they hear from you is a faith that is built on hope. And that hope is built on the resurrection. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, for the spirit that continues to move, the spirit that offers us an opportunity to dream bigger and to hope more than we could ever do on our own or even as a community, we give you thanks. 
challenges us, challenge us and care for us as we walk this journey. Be with us every step of the way. We pray all this in the name of Christ and God's people say, amen.